Hi everyone, and welcome to the first Animal Chat with Harry and Matt podcast. Over the coming weeks and months, myself, Harry Ekman, and my friend and colleague Matthew Payne are going to be exploring and unpicking the world of animal welfare, animal rights, conservation, and basically anything to do with animal protection, working for animal welfare organisations, or pretty much anything else animally that comes to mind. As well as the two of us, we're going to be joined by a wide range of experts, friends and colleagues who all work in animal welfare, from incredible people who are experts in their field to amazing individuals who are running their own organisations around the world. We're going to be chatting with them all, swapping stories and delving into the world of animal welfare. In this episode, Matt and I chat about how we started in animal welfare. We share some of the stories about how we got our first jobs, and we share some of the lessons that we learned along the way. So whether you're involved in animal welfare already, looking to get more involved, interested in the issues, or you just like listening to a couple of idiots rambling on about their love of animal welfare and their personal journeys, I hope you enjoy this first animal chat. So here we go. So you were talking before about careers and you were a teacher before you got into animal welfare. Yes. And so how did, how did that work? How did you, how did you make the leap into animal welfare? Wow. Um, How did I make the leap into animal welfare? I was a teacher from 2008 to 2015, as you know, and worked in primary education. So that's, five to 11 year olds roughly. And I primarily worked with seven to eight year olds. And when I started, when I was a kid, I, I loved animals, you know, like like you did Harry and was obsessed with them, was obsessed with Elsa, was obsessed with in Born Free, obsessed with Free Willy, tigers, just sharks particularly, just loved them. And as I grew up, I got a bit distracted and things that don't matter or you think that matter at the time. But when I became a teacher, I remember teaching a class in my first year when I was a newly qualified teacher and I was basing a whole unit of work on the butterfly lion by Michael Mpergo. It's about a white lion. It's a really good book with kids. Um, issues with white lions aside just for one moment. And um, I loved it. And, and I remembered, I know it sounds really weird. A switch went, I just thought I love, I love animals. Why, why? And I threw myself into it. And I'm that kind of a personality I'm quite obsessive in the way I work and the way I, I approach things. I like to know as much as I can about a thing. And and then I just got involved volunteering as I was a teacher. And the thing about education is it, animal welfare charities, a lot of them have education and a lot of them don't have specialists. And that's not a derogatory comment to the people that are doing it, but very few teachers go into animal welfare because the pay is not as good, primarily. Having spoke to teach, you know, if you've got teachers on 35 grand and then you see an advert for 18 grand, what are you going to do? Does that make sense? Like animal, you know, yeah. money is appalling because it doesn't make money for charity. Yeah. So why are they going to invest that much amount of money into it? So I used to be able to get volunteering opportunities quite easily. Um, and I did a lot of volunteering for a lot of different organizations and set up my own wildlife education website, doing after school clubs. 
so I gradually did more and more and I, I just loved it and, and I was passionate about it and I was passionate about educating young people about animals because young people love it so you get a good reception from them you know teaching kids about orcas and ca- the issues with captivity and I did a whole lot of work with that and eventually I started to want to look at getting a job and it was a long process it took me five or six years to get a job hmm. and you know what that's like Harry um yeah trying to get a job in animal welfare is really hard particularly when you've got no experience or qualifications and you don't necessarily have the connections because connections are really important in this industry and eventually I was really really fortunate I got offered a job for cats protection who are the UK's leading cat charity and it, and it was to basically be a community project officer mm-hmm. and it, it was more my boss back then took a leap of faith on me and it was the passion I'd showed I'd in that time I'd done everything I could I used to stay up till three o'clock in the morning pretty much every night reading about animals learning facts learning things and then running my own projects I ran Fin Free Manchester for a short term which I don't know if you know that about me Harry um, yeah, I remember you mentioning yeah. it. And I remember saying, what did you have against the Finnish people? <laughs> and, uh, Just hate them. Yeah, bloody Finnish people coming over here, stealing our jobs, no. eating our shark fin soup. Yeah. No, exactly. With their bloody <laughs> etiquette and good looks and all that. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, did that. I was, I learned a lot in that period as well about who to trust. And I was also, you know what, Harry, it's really interesting you bring that up because I've never thought of it like this. I, I was... I really went on a journey in terms of my beliefs as well. And I think you've seen this with me as well in our chats. And, you know, I learned not to get a fixed position on things hmm. and not to not see things as black and white and to be open minded to meet people and not shut doors because I don't I disagree with everything. they, they, they... Unless you're looking at killer whales, then you definitely yeah, see yeah, things as black no, and white. But... Yeah, there's no middle ground killer whales. <laughs> but yeah, yeah so, so eventually, literally, I got a lucky break. That is the only way I describe it. And, and it was my... My hard, my boss saw the hard work and the passion. I think that I had put into trying to get experience, and she she gave me a chance, uh, and she obviously regretted it every day. Um, but uh, that set me off. <laughs> and you know, I remember somebody saying to me, "You've just got to get in." When it comes to animal welfare, you've just got to get through the front door, and once you're through that front first front door, it's not easy after that. But at least you're in, and until that point, yeah. it's a slog. And I think anyone who is trying, and I know because I've had people reach out to me, who are trying to get into animal welfare know what I'm talking about when I say that. Oh, yeah. There's so much competition in animal welfare, and more so than there's ever been, I think. The the more charities that there are, the more that work is publicized, the greater the awareness of the issues, Mm. the more people suddenly think that it's something that they want to become involved in professionally. Exactly. And and it's tough. It's very tough. Mm. It's very tough for... Most of the jobs are in London. Um, yeah. That brings difficulties for a lot of people. People who yeah. maybe have dependents, people that don't have the money to travel. Yeah. Working from home is only kind of, I don't know how you feel about this, Harry, but it's only starting to become a little bit more common. Um, I've been very lucky that my two jobs in animal welfare have and are home-based, but that's quite rare. I mean, we are in the middle of coronavirus um, and everyone's yeah. home working out from <laughs> Um, yeah, you 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 went on a similar journey, didn't you, Harry? Where you it was a slog for a while, and yeah, for for me it was um, well, for me it was a career change. Uh, as with you, I'd always had this this huge love of animals. Uh, grew up with dogs. I remember reading 
children's encyclopedias about wildlife and animals when I was a kid, but I'd never really thought of getting a career in animal welfare. As far as I was concerned, working with animals was restricted to being a veterinarian or working with uh, working in a zoo. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think of, of there being any other kind of career opportunities, and so it never occurred to me. And then changing my career, because originally I was uh, worked in the family bakery, so I was a pastry chef for many years, and it wasn't a particularly fulfilling job. And then I was looking for something that I actually cared about and wanted to do uh, more than make pastries every day. And just happened to see an advertisement in a local paper for an animal shelter, the Mayhew in northwest London. And they were advertising for animal care assistance. And I mean, we're going back now 22 years ago. So you didn't need any qualifications to get that kind of job then. All you had to do was uh, care about animals, be a hard worker, and not be a twat. And I think that was pretty much it as far as getting a job. How did you get and a I job? Two, I, I ticked two of the three boxes. I was about to say, uh, bloody hell. Yeah. How did you want yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> I lied. They, they found out pretty quickly yeah. I was a twat. So, But, you know, the animal love and the, the hard work were, uh, were the important <laughs> ones. <laughs> and, so, and so, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and animal love is, was still top of my CV. Um, and not the most appropriate phrase, but nevertheless... <laughs> Um, I have strong animal love. <laughs> the title of your sex tape. <laughs> yeah. um, um, but anyway, yeah. So I got the job at the Mayhew and it opened so many doors for me. It really did. I knew so little about working in animal welfare. And then when I was there, I was exposed not only to the world of animal welfare, but to so many people with so many experiences. And I knew that that I wanted to do more beyond just working in a shelter. I was starting to understand and be exposed to things like international animal welfare issues and stray animal management and tigers going extinct and literally you name it. Like I was meeting different people and speaking to different people and talking about all of these different things. And every one of them fascinated me and every one of them I wanted to be involved in. And after a, a kind of meandering journey through different opportunities, some within animal welfare and some not actually animal welfare jobs per se, although I always volunteered, but they were jobs that gave me transferable skills like project management and campaigning and fundraising and things that I knew would be valuable to bring back into animal welfare when I got the opportunity. But for the longest time, the goal for me was actually an organization called, well, at the time it was called Whisper, World Society Protection of Animals. It's now World Animal Protection. And that for me was always the goal, working for an organization like them that was doing all of these amazing things around the world. And then when I finally got the opportunity to work for them, well, that was that was an incredible day. That had taken years and years of interviews and knockbacks and lack of experience and jobs going to people that I actually knew and, and ended up being friends with, mm. but had greater experience than me. And so it was just about recognizing where I still needed to work on my skills and on my knowledge. And like you said, it was also about the contacts. It was always about the people and knowing the right people and, and being a known quantity, being somebody that, that showed interest and mm. determination and tenacity and that didn't take a knock back as, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do this then. But as somebody that 
took what they'd learned, made something of it, and then came back again and said, well, you know, I remember getting job interviews. And um, so one occasion I didn't have project management experience. So I went away and I found myself a role and I got training and got a qualification in project management. And I went back and that was great. There was another occasion where I wasn't from Eastern Europe. And so there wasn't really a lot I could do about that. Um, so, you know, there, you know there, there's some things you can do and some things you can't yeah. do. Um, and so, yeah, there was no way I could go back and go, no, it turned out I'm Polish. So yeah. uh, give you me can't do it without coming across as racist, Harry. Is that what you're saying? No, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> not. And, and having heritage from Eastern Europe yeah. four generations ago apparently doesn't cut it. Bastard. So who's the racist? I don't know. Yeah, I know. Um, it's unbelievable. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, so, and, and that kind of led me on, on this career path as well and eventually getting to me to the, the place that I am now. But it was a lot of work and seeking out opportunities where wherever they came, whether they were animal welfare or animal welfare adjacent. Not to come across as if this is a support group for both of us, but it's really hard to explain to people who maybe haven't tried to work in animal welfare or have never considered it, or have just don't know much about the industry, how hard it is to get a job in animal welfare sometimes. Yeah. And like you say, I relate so much with that feeling of relief and accomplishment when you get there, because it is, like I said, it's trying to get through that front door. How did you How did you feel when you got that first job? You talked about it, and you, know, you struggled for five or six years. And so when you finally got that door open, how did you feel? Oh, it was like a weight had been lifted, and... Very much like you said something before, which I laughed to myself about, because you and I are very similar, like this, Harry, we spoke about this before, where you'll, you'll be doing some work or volunteering for, say, a tiger project, and then you'll watch a wolf documentary, and then you're like, I love wolves, I want to work with wolves, and then you, the next four months he's trying to do wolves. And then you watch a gorilla documentary or read a gorilla book and you're like, I bloody love gorillas. Gorillas are awesome. Yeah. And like you meander, use that word meander. And I did that for so long. And if I'm being really honest, a lot of that, along with passion, was also me trying to find opportunities for myself. Mm -hmm. You know, testing the waters, seeing which specialty within animal welfare, wildlife, conservation, am I going to be able to, to get through that door? Is it going to be into the wolf industry? Is it going to industry with the wolf industry? Um, <laughs> trading wolves. Um, or the, you know, sharks, for example. I did stuff with lions. That's an important thing, though, isn't it? Because you, you, you get fascinated with these iconic species. Yeah. And the cool animals mm. and the ones that, that are always the figureheads for these organizations. But if you want to work with them, it's hard enough getting a job in animal welfare anyway. But if you're limiting yourself to gorillas in Rwanda and that's the job you really want to do, well, you're going to work really hard to, to find an opportunity there. I mean, it's hard enough to get a job mm. working with dogs and cats. So mm. when you restrict yourself to something like that, absolutely. You're totally right. Going on what you just said, because that's such an important point. Two people I think of when you say this is Amy Dickman and Alan Rabinovitz. So Amy Dickman is a classic case. She's now one of the world's most eminent lion conservationists. If you don't know who she is, check her out. She's doing some amazing work in East Africa with lions. But she didn't start there. She wasn't allowed to just graduate and go to become a lion scientist. She worked for David McDonald, I think, who's quite a well-known big cat scientist at Oxford University, basically a don at oxford university and he started her off on a tiny little insect something like that you know there's some great <laughs> with her. he literally said you've got to start there 
Um, Alan Rabinovitz did the same. You know, he started with it was either Mountain Grill as he started, and then I think he went into Bears, and then he ended up doing Big Cats. He didn't get where to where he wanted to go straight away, and that's the thing. If like you say, you can get meandered on those things, but you suddenly realise that there are people that have had the same dream as you, but they've already got a zoology degree and you haven't. Yeah. So what are you can do about yes. it? And this is the thing you've got to. You go in with all the best intentions. I mean, I was fortunate in some respects because education was slightly different, but still, mm. no one's going to just let you turn up and become everything you want in animal welfare. You've got to work for it. And that. Yeah, not as a pastry chef. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, how did I feel when I got the job, Harry? I felt teaching's a really hard profession when you don't have the passion for it. And if mm. I'm honest, I never had the passion. It was always something I was okay at, I was pretty good at it. But I, I have a friend who's a teacher and he's fantastic and he's passionate about educating children. That's what he does his extra reading about. I did my extra reading about ocelots and jaguars. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? About cheetahs and, uh, <laughs> and the fact that male cheetahs will form coalitions as they leave. You know, all that sort of stuff. That, that <laughs> as they form governments. Yeah, form governments, yeah. Um, you know, that was my passion. And... So when I when I got it, I was so relieved, but I was also exhausted. And I couldn't I literally couldn't watch or read anything to do with wildlife or animals for a couple of years after that because I just couldn't um it was it was a strange period in my life, but I got there in the end. And yeah, I mean something you said, Harry, which was I thought was so amazing in your journey is the fact that you left almost animal welfare to get in some respects to get the qualifications that you needed. And there's one that you mentioned, which is project management. And, and I don't know how you feel about this, but when I was in my head trying to break into the industry, like trying to break America, um, a musician <laughs> trying to break into the industry, I just learned about animals because I thought that was important. You know, that I knew, I literally knew so much about animals, mm. facts. But the moment you get into this industry, it literally doesn't matter. I don't know if you know that you agree with this. Absolutely, project management, agree. project management is, and, and hopefully from the podcast that people listen to and, and subscribe, that the, one of the best skills you can have in animal welfare is project management. I cannot stress this enough, being able to manage a project. Yeah, I don't, how do you feel about that, Harry? Because I, I just feel that I used to think that I used to have to know everything about tigers to work in tiger conservation. There are millions of people that know lots about tigers. <laughs> It's those other transferable skills and you left to go get them. So I know you're probably going to agree with me, but what are your thoughts on that? Totally disagree with you, Matt. I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> you are talking out your ass. Honestly, I don't know where you get those crazy ideas from. No, you're, you're 100% right. Absolutely right. And I remember we've talked about this before because... I remember seeing a film years ago. I've tried to look it up, actually, and, and, and the film actually may be a figment of my imagination because I can't find any trace of it anywhere. But I remember seeing a film where this guy gets a job in the film industry because he has this encyclopedic knowledge of films. Mm. And he just, because he knows everything about the subject, he ends up getting a job. And I always felt, like you just said, that that was a, that was a thing as well. If you know everything about animals, if I know enough about dogs, if I become an expert on tigers, if I become an expert on wolves, then I'm going to be able to get a job working with those animals. And that just doesn't cut it. Unless you want to be a researcher, yeah. then maybe there's something to do with that. But if you actually want to 
have an effect, have an impact on animal welfare and animal protection, then there is a whole suite of skills that you need that have nothing to do with animals at all and everything to do with campaigning and human behavior change and project management and marketing and communication and all of these things to facilitate animal welfare. And project management for me was... I didn't even realize how important it was until I realized how useful it was. It didn't even occur to me because it was part of the other job that I was doing, but I didn't realize until I got back into animal welfare, the gap that that knowledge and experience filled. Yeah, it's so vital. And I think another one that I've learned is if if you find yourself saying, and I bet, Harry, you've heard someone say this to you, I want to work with animals because I hate people. Oh, so many times. If you hear, if you say that, the perfect job for you is to be maybe a cat carer or maybe um, a canine carer. Don't go into any other form of animal welfare because you have to work with people. You have to understand people. Like you said, you mentioned human behavior change. This is something that you and I are really, really passionate about. And yeah. one of the, the reasons we first got talking is that in order to change or improve the welfare of animals in the animal welfare industry, behavioral science, understanding human beings and how they act, why they act, why they behave in a certain way is where the industry is going. And it is, it's paramount to everything that, that is going on right now in the industry. And, and that, when, since I've got into animal welfare, I've stopped learning about animals and I've started to learn about people. I've started to read psychology books, learn about human behavior change, like you mentioned, Harry. That is the biggest thing that I would recommend to people as well is project management skills and understanding people because you cannot improve animal welfare unless you understand people and how to change their behavior and what yeah. the best way of changing their behavior. None of this, all they need is educating. Education alone does not change behavior. And having that knowledge and having that skill set or experience or just awareness of that industry is so vital now. And there was something else that you said before that I think is really really relevant as well, which was for anybody that's interested in getting into animal welfare, it is that it's the people, it's knowing the right people, it's making those connections, whether it's you and I are both only where we are because of the people that we've met and worked with and connected to and not pissed off. Yeah. Because animal welfare, we say this, you know, it's difficult to get into, it's it's a fairly small world Definitely. and knowing certain people doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get a job, but it does mean that you're on the radar. And I think you said before, it's about being able to, whether it's volunteering or going to conferences or randomly contacting somebody through, through LinkedIn or something like that, just so that you can start that dialogue because one of the one of the wonderful things about animal welfare is that people that are involved in it are passionate about it mm. and they want to support other people who have the same goal and the same aims and the same aspirations to improve animal welfare and when you're speaking to somebody who is like-minded it builds all of us up and so having that opportunity if somebody comes along and says how do i get involved what can i do not asking for a job, but asking how you can help or how you can be involved or how you can support the cause goes a long way, I think. It's so important because we've all been there. You and I, when we first met, you know, this is one of the first things we talked about, the journey that you have to go on to get into this industry. And 
just go back to a point you said there, I, I couldn't agree with you more about the need to put yourself out there. We're not saying that that is how you should be as a person. We, we recognise that not everyone is what you might call an extrovert or or it doesn't come easy to everyone to put yourself out there or to volunteer to do talks or attend conferences. Or one of the hardest things to do is to network at conferences. I know it's hard. Mm. I used to hate doing that sort of thing. Before I became a teacher, this is a true story and this is terrible. When I was at university, <laughs> the friend who knows this is, the, is, a, is a true story. Him and I did a presentation drunk as part of our my degree because I was so terrified. And the only way I could do it was get drunk. And I was still terrible. I used to be that petrified. And obviously I became a teacher, so I got used to talking. And I understand the difficulty because I used to be there. But in animal welfare, it is so important to put yourself out there and to reach out to people. It doesn't have to be that you have to attend every conference and speak at a conference. It can be creating connections over LinkedIn, reaching out to people. Because as I said, we've all been there. We'll always help and we'll always offer advice. And I know so many people that I still am in contact now with, that I reached out to, and it meant so much to me. Talking about advice and the kind of advice that you would give, if you could go back and give yourself advice, other than what we've already talked about in general, you yourself and all the things that you were thinking and all of the things that you did at the time in order to get to where you are, if you could go back to your younger self and give yourself advice, what would you say? Curtains aren't the right haircut. <laughs> You're not David Beckham. Don't try to be David Beckham. <laughs> Is that what you meant, Harry? Is that... <laughs> well, if we're talking about fashion choices, yeah. then my whole late 80s Don Johnson Miami Vice look really was not good. Do you, yeah, despite... I would use a Morrissey fan, Harry. A Morris? No, no, I was never a Morrissey fan. No, no, I I model myself on on Don Johnson, and there's a big difference between buying an Armani suit and the crappy market trader versions that I wore in 1987. Oh, okay. And if we were keeping it specific to animal (laughs) welfare, (laughs) Um, okay. So um, in terms of animal welfare. It's a really tricky question for this. In the, first of all, obviously, I'd, I'd be a lot easier on myself and I'd enjoy it more. I would have learned sooner about project management, 100%. I would have stopped learning about the home range of the African golden cat in Gabon. And What, more... what is the home range of the African golden cat in Gabon? Oh, Jesus Christ. You need to ask Layla Bahar Eldin. Is a so, so you've given me an example of something you wasted your time learning. No, it was a long time ago. I'm plugging Layla Bahar <laughs> in. I've only contacted Layla via email. She used to work for Panthera. She's one of the scientists that caught the first ever recorded footage of an African golden cat only about five years ago. And mm. she went out to Gabon all on her own. She's amazing. Um, check her out. But anyway, back on the question. I would have learned more about project management skills, and I would have also, you know what, Harry, I'm, I think I was too keen in that I think I approached too many people too soon and was a bit too intense, maybe at times, in terms of what I wanted to do. <laughs> I also, I wasn't young, but I was young in terms of getting into the industry, in terms of learning about the way things worked. And I think I entrenched myself in certain camps in terms of being anti this or pro this. 
without taking a balanced view. I wouldn't necessarily listen to the other side. Does that make sense? Yeah. You have you have you or have you been quite almost moderate in your views or quite confident in your views and not have they not changed no. much over time? Mine have. Oh no, not at all. My views and my thoughts about this change and have changed quite drastically over the years. I mean, I remember even when I was working in animal welfare, there were things that I look back on now and go, oh my God, I can't believe I thought that or believe that. It doesn't make any sense to me. It was almost like these layers of animal welfare were being peeled like the layers of an onion. And every time I got a little bit deeper, it increased my understanding about what I should do or shouldn't do. But I think from from my point of view, if I was to go back, I... I think one of the things you said was go easier on myself. Yeah. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself because like you, it was something I really wanted to do, feeling like I should have done something different or should have known something that I had no way of knowing at the time wasn't fair on me because I was going up against people who were amazing, many of whom I've worked with now and many of whom I consider friends now. But these are incredibly amazing, passionate, knowledgeable, inspirational people. Thank you. And that's very kind of you, yeah, Harry. And and you. Thank you. And so, it means a lot, Harry. It means yeah. It means everything. Yeah, and I get stuck doing a podcast with you, like <laughs> all those But yeah, I mean, I'm very, I'm very lucky to be where I am, and I'm, I'm only where I am as a result of of the people I've met and the opportunities that I've been given, and so I'm eminently grateful for for all of those so there you have it matt and i taking on the challenges of working in animal welfare so that you don't have to i hope you enjoyed this first episode of animal chat please let us know if there are any particular issues or topics you'd like us to chat about in future episodes on the next episode, we're going to be joined by Tim Harrison, a retired police officer, firefighter and paramedic for the city of Oakwood, Ohio in the United States. He's the director of Outreach for Animals, and he was the central focus of the multi-award winning 2011 documentary, The Elephant in the Living Room. But until then, thanks so much for listening and see you next time. <laughs>